The Anarchist's Workbench by Christopher Schwarz Published by Lost Art Press This recording is by Ray Defterius and is not affiliated or endorsed by Lost Art Press in any manner. Any errors or omissions are purely the fault of the narrator, as is any general bungling of pronunciation of names. Chapter 11 Introduction to the Anarchist's Workbench After 20 years of thought, trial and experimentation, this workbench is where I've ended up. I put the final coat of finish on it today, and I pushed it up against the first real workbench I built in 2000. Both are made using the same species of wood. Both have four legs, a shelf, and an array of holes in the bench top and legs. Neither has a tail vice. To me the differences between the two benches are immense. In a glance I can see how every component has evolved during the intervening 20 years. The legs and top are thicker. The bench top is narrower but longer. The joinery is completely different. My old bench is held together with nuts and bolts. You could take it apart with a ratchet set and a screwdriver. The new one is designed to come apart only with the help of a major house fire. Before I designed the 2000 bench, I first amassed every workbench plan I could find at the library and in old magazines. I tried to design a bench that looked like it was the plausible offspring of all those other plans. I wanted people to say, yep, he made a bench. When I designed the bench for this book, I didn't look at anything except the paper on my clipboard as I drew its components. This bench, for better or for worse, is based on what I know will work. It's not to say this bench is the ultimate this or the must-have that. It's not the end-all, or even the bed-busting sex of workbenches. It's too simple to attract a lot of adjectives. What I can say is it's a design I've refined during many years and millions of woodworkers refined it before me. I cannot think of any way to improve it. The Bones This workbench has a 5 inch thick top that is 22 inches wide and about 8 foot long. The legs are 5 inches by 5 inches, tree trunks compared to furniture components. The stretches are 2.5 inches thick and 4 inches wide. The stretches are 4 inches above the floor which allows you to hook your foot under the front stretcher to pull yourself forward or brace yourself during some planing and sawing operations. The four stretchers enclose and support a shelf, which is essential for storing furniture, parts, appliances and the like. The benchtop is centered over its base with the front edge of the benchtop in the same plane as the front face of the legs and the front face of the long stretchers. This arrangement grants you great flexibility because you can clamp almost anything to the front of the bench. Clamp your work to the bench top, the legs, the stretchers. They're all in the same plane and welcome your clamps. The top overhangs the base by 16 inches at both ends. This allows you a lot of room for clamping or adding a vise. Many bench designs have aprons or other structures that prevent a retrofit of an end vise or face vise without invasive surgery. This bench will accept many vices no matter which woodworking tradition you hail from. So you don't have to decide what vices you want immediately. You can change your mind later on. This design is open format, for lack of a better word, and can be adapted to your needs.
The Magic 2x Material All of the bench's thick components are created by laminating pieces of common 2x framing lumber together. Here are the important details on framing lumber. When you go to the home center, you'll find 1x, 2x and 4x lumber, and maybe some 6x. These numbers are supposed to indicate that the lumber mill started with bits of woods that were 1 inch, 2 inch, 4 inch and 6 inch thick, then planed them down to the finished sizes, which are 3 quarters, 1 and a half, 3 and a half, 5 and a half thick. We are concerned and obsessed with the 2x stuff. This is usually sold at 1.5 inches thick, but it's also warped and needs some drying time before you can use it in a workbench. With primer material, I can usually squeeze 1 and 3 8 inches thickness out of a 2 bar material, but that is optimistic. When I'm being realistic, I design pieces using 2 bar lumber and assume that I can get the stuff flat, clean, and 1 and a quarter inches thick in the end. And the 1 and a quarter inch thickness is what all the components in the bench are based on. Even if you are a beginning woodworker, you will have no problem getting 2 bar material to 1 and a quarter inch thickness unless your stock is firewood in waiting. You can do this by hand, or with simple machines. A basic electric jointer and thickness planer are godsends when dealing with 2x material. And if you can get everything to 1.25 inches thick, then the rest of this workbench makes mathematical sense. Side note, the bench is designed to be made with inexpensive 6-inch jointer and a 12-inch thickness planer. You can't get more basic than that. 5-inch thick legs are made from 4 layers of 1.25 inch thick material, to make the 2.5 inch thick tenons on the top of the legs, we make the two center layers longer, creating the tenon. The stretchers are 2.5 inches thick and made from two 1.25 inch thick layers, and we'll make the 3 inch long tenons on the ends by making one lamination 6 inches shorter than the others and centering it on the other pieces. The mortises can be made by subtracting layers in some instances. You can easily make the mortises for the planing stop in the bench top this way. You can also make half the mortises in the legs for the stretches. Wait, half? You'll figure it out. Or you can bore and chop out all the mortises if you like. I don't think either method is superior to the other. I'm going to show both techniques. Why I like 2x12s When I build workbenches from framing lumber, I can almost buy 2x12s, which are 1.5 inches by 11.25 inches. A 2x12 can be ripped down its middle to give me two sticks that are ideal for the bench stock for the legs, about 5.5 inches wide each, so I can plane them down to 5 inches. I could buy 2x10s for the stretches, but I usually stick to the 2x12s for these as well. Why? I save the knottier 2x12s for the stretches because I only need 4 inch wide material, not 5 inch. That gives me some flexibility when I have less than perfect material. If you drive a massive truck and have a friend, be sure to poke through the 16 foot long 2x12s as they tend to be clearer than the 8, 10 and 12 foot long sticks. To be honest, I have a small truck and don't always visit the lumber yard with friends. So I poke through the racks of 8 foot and 10 foot long 2x12s because I can handle them alone. Here's another tip. Some yards stock number 2 yellow pine, others stock number 1. There's a price difference. But in my neck of the woods, Kentucky, it's only a $2 upcharge for a number 1 grade 2x12. After you see the difference, you will believe me when I say that number 2 is indeed number 2.
Don't be fooled by number two prime. It's still number two wearing a tuxedo. Number one has remarkably fewer knots and straighter grain. If you are measuring wood by the pound, number one costs two cents more per pound than number two. Put another way, if you make a 300 pound workbench using number one for the whole thing, you will add six dollars to the bill. You might be wondering how much this workbench weighs. Before assembling the bench, I weighed the individual components on a heavy duty scale we use for shipping crates of furniture. Without the vices in the seat, just the pine, the bench weighed 307 pounds. The vice hardware and maple jaw add 29 pounds. The swing away seat adds 17 pounds. Total, 353 pounds. Your bench will weigh more or less, depending on the boards you pick at the lumber yard. Yellow pine varies quite a bit depending on how much of the heavy summer wood is in the board. Summer wood is the dense dark orange annular rings. The whiter wood, the spring wood, is spongier. To illustrate the difference that's possible, I weighed the six shelf boards individually for the bench, which varied quite a bit in their proportions of summer wood, also known as late wood, to spring wood, also known as early wood. The lightest shelf board, one and a quarter by nine by seventeen, weighed three and a half pounds. The heaviest one weighed 4.8 pounds, or 37% more. So you can vary the final weight of your bench quite a bit simply by picking boards that are more orange at the lumber yard. Become a 2x collector. I'm not a wood hoarder, except when it comes to 2x12s. Every time I need a filter for my shop vacuum, blue tape or glue, I swing through the framing lumber section of the lumber yard and I dig. I look for perfect boards that are straight and not free. If I can find a perfect board within 5 minutes of digging, I throw it on my cart. I typically find one board. Sometimes I get 3 or 4, especially if the yard stocks number 1. When home, I pile the perfect specimens on top of the other 2x12s in the basement. When I have a bench sized pile, I make a bench or a couple of saw benches. This might take months, it might take a year. Either way, it gives the wood plenty of time to dry and assume its final shape before I plane and saw it up. Patience pays. Work holding. The work holding on this bench is simple and robust. The face vise is a leg vise with a metal screw and an X-shaped mechanism. The hardware is made by Benchcrafted in Iowa. I use its classic vise hardware and its crisscross mechanism. The movable wooden jaw is three and a quarter inch thick maple I like the way maple looks for a vice chop. If you like, you can use yellow pine and glue up three layers to create the chop. I chose a metal screw for the vice because it's easy to install and moves quickly. I also love wooden vice screws. They require more woodworking to get the vice nut mortised into the leg and you need to install a garter in the chop. That's not a big deal, I've done it many times. But in this instance, the metal screw won by a hair. The vice screw is positioned lower on the vice chop than most modern benches, which are usually 8 inches from the bench top. This is intentional. Old workbenches had screws that were much lower, sometimes 12 inches to 15 inches below the bench top. This increased the capacity of the vice. You could get wider boards in the jaws with ease. But you have to stoop more to work the vice. After working with a bench for years with a 13 inch capacity above the screw, I didn't want to give that all up. That's why the vice screw on the bench is so low. It has 11 inches of clamping capacity above its screw. It might look weird, but that's because you've seen a lot of modern benches. 
The crisscross allows the leg vise to clamp your work without a parallel guide and pin. When I published the historical drawings for the X-shaped mechanism in 2007, I got letters from woodworkers who said it would never work. They had long explanations about force vectors and gravity. But they're wrong. I found a historical example and bought it. I sent it to Benchcrafter to try out. They were the geniuses who made it. It's alien technology from the past, and I love it. The jaw of the chop and the front edge of the bench top are covered with a sheet of material made from chewed up bits of cork and rubber. It's available at farm stores and sold as gasket material. Or you can get it from Benchcrafted under the brand name of Crubber. The Crubber is about one eighth of an inch thick, and I regularly get questions about why I glue a layer to the front edge of the bench top. Doesn't this diminish the clamping capacity of the vise? Don't you want the work clamped to the entire front of the bench top? That was my concern 20 years ago as well, before I built a bench. After working in the real world, I prefer the bench top to be lined with grippy material. If you need support for a long workpiece, clamping it to the front of the bench top, bending it one eighth of an inch, is no big deal. If this concerns you, skip the grippy liner on the bench top. Give it a try and see how you like it. On the bench top, the most essential piece of work holding is the blacksmith made planing stop. It's a piece of iron embedded in a 2.5 by 2.5 by 12 inch stick of wood. The wood is friction fit in a through mortise in the bench top and moves up and down with mallet taps. I've tried a lot of planing stops. There are a dozen of patented designs and manufactured versions, both vintage and new. I prefer the old style, which goes back to the Romans, at least. It's a spike that is driven into a movable wooden part. On top of the spike is a flat area. That flat area has teeth, which hold your work and is what gets hit by the mallet to move the stop down. I definitely prefer this stop to the tricky commercial mechanisms that were made by Miller Falls and other companies which have spring-loaded teeth and are locked with a screwdriver. This modern mechanism gets easily fouled and rusted. And don't even get me started on the aluminium stops that open with a thumbscrew. My one-word tool review? Worthless. Some modern makers have created a hybrid version that is bolted or screwed to the movable wooden post. These work great. I have no issue with them. I just like the old school stops better. Despite the safety concerns of having the stops teeth exposed, I'm going to be a bad boy. I didn't mortise the bench top to receive the teeth of the planing stop. Two reasons. I've never cut myself on it in 15 years of daily use. I use the stop so much that the teeth are never down for more than a few moments. Finally, there are the hold fast holes. I've spent more brain power than I'd like to admit during the last 15 years trying to figure out the optimal pattern for hold fast holes. I sought a pattern that was useful, but didn't make the bench top look like a victim of the furniture beetle. I think I have it right. There is one hold fast hole behind the planing stop that is used to secure a batten down across the width of the bench top and against the planing stop, creating a wide planing stop for panels. The remainder of the holdfast holes are in three rows of 15-inch centers. This accommodates the typical reach of a 7-inch long holdfast pad. If you have radically smaller holdfasts, I encourage you to upgrade. The back row is 3 inches from the back edge of the bench top. You want it as far back as possible without cracking the bench top. 3 inches of workable and safe distance. 
The next two rows are 7 inch forward of the previous row and each row is offset 7 inches or so down the length of the bench. You want the front row to end up about 5 inches from the front edge of the bench top to hold appliances and workpieces. This array of holes does everything I want. It holds boards of various lengths with a doe's foot for planing. The row up near the front edge is ideal for securing a moxon vase or any piece of work that needs to hang off the bench top. Think of a chair seat where you need to drill holes through the seat. I have also drilled three holes in the bench's right leg. These allow me to store holdfasts. While the holdfasts are stored, they sometimes act as a shelf and support long boards and doors. Note that I use 1 inch holes for a holdfast. I have found that bigger holdfasts that are closely fit to their holes work better than small diameter holdfasts with slop. If you can't find a 1 inch holdfast commercially, there are many blacksmiths who will make you one. No sliding dead man. This bench does not have a sliding dead man, sometimes called a board jack. I don't think it needs one. If you take care when building your leg vise and add a grippy liner to its jaws, it will easily hold an 8 foot long board for edge planing. Longer boards and doors can get some extra support from below using the holdfast stored in the right leg. If you think you need a dead man, know they are easy to retrofit. Build the bench without one and use it. Your work and your preferences will tell you if it's a necessary piece of equipment. The shelf. The shelf is not an afterthought. You need the shelf to hold the furniture parts you're working on, the jigs or appliances you use all the time, and whatever else you won't fit on your bench top. The shelf takes, at most, a couple of hours to make, but it improves the bench forever. I've made the shelves in a variety of ways. Here are some pros and cons. Cleats and loose boards without any edge joints. This is the fastest shelf imaginable. Screw some cleats to the stretchers, then fill the space with solid wood boards. The pros, fast, and you can remove the shelf material to replace it. Cons, gaps open when the boards shrink and the small stuff falls between the cracks. When you move the bench, the shelf boards spill everywhere. Cleats and plain boards screwed or pegged in place. Pros, the shelf stays in one pace when you move it. Cons, you still get gaps when the shelf boards shrink. Cleats and plywood screwed down or left loose. Pros, fast and easy. Cons, but ugly. Cleats and shiplap boards are fixed with pegs or screws. Pros, when the shelf board shrinks, nothing falls through. Cons, it takes time to make the shiplaps. The seams fill with sawdust and crap. Cleats with tongue and groove joints on the edges are fixed with pegs or screws. Pros, no unsightly gaps between the shelf boards. Most attractive solutions. Cons, most time consuming and the seams between the boards filled with sawdust. I made my choices with this bench. The shelf boards are affixed to cleats using screws and have no shiplaps, tongues or grooves. There are six shelf boards that are 9 inches wide, allowing you to use up 2x10 material, and two are 2.5 inches wide, allowing you to use up scraps. I beveled the long edges of the shelf boards to make them more attractive, I'm okay with gaps opening up between the shelf boards. The sawdust ends up on the floor where it's easy to sweep or vacuum. Pros and cons of the bench. Here's what I like about this bench. Economy. It's cheap to build without compromises on weight, stiffness or strength. 
the material it's made from is plentiful, quickly renewed, and costs pennies per pound. Flexibility. You can transform this bench into almost any sort of bench you want. Want to add a European tailvise? Then shift the bench top to the right and do your business. Want to add a pattern maker's vise? Shift the bench top left and you'll have all the room you need. These are radical changes that need to happen before construction begins. Most other changes are easy to make after the bench is built. You can add quick release vices, a wagon vise or any surface vise with little fussing. You can even bolt a tool tray to the package of the bench top. I honestly don't mind. Durability Yellow pine gets tougher with age. The old yellow pine benches I have in my shop take an incredible beating and hold up as well as maple and better than oak or cherry. Invisibility I know, it's a weird word to describe a bench. This bench's simplicity makes clamping stuff to it a breeze. You can clamp stuff anywhere. There are no aprons, tool trays or vice mechanisms to stop you. It's difficult to describe how liberating this is until you are forced to use another bench that fights you every step of the way. What about the cons? There are cons to every bench design, and I try to confront them head on. Homely The bench is not as attractive as the hardwood benches I've built. The contrast between the pale early wood and dark orange late wood in yellow pine looks cheap, and the thin laminations for the components make the bench look more like a wooden countertop or bowling alley. Not ideal for fasteners. The softwood construction poses challenges when installing the leg vice hardware, which was covered in the building section. The bench doesn't use a lot of metal fasteners, but when you do use them, such as when bolting the seat to the leg, you need to use massive bolts. Vulnerability. Until the sap hardens, the wood is soft and easily dented. This might take a year or so. Thirsty for clamps. The top is laminated from lots of one and a quarter inch thick pieces. You'll need clamps, glue and patience to make a proper bench top. Gluing up a top from thin strips of wood takes time, energy and clamps, clamps, clamps. But the result is, at the outset, more stable than a monolithic slab. And you'll need those clamps for making furniture too. A slab top would be faster to construct, but it has downsides. Thick slabs save you time when gluing up but they're unstable for a few years until they settle down. They are more prone to splits and overall twisting than a laminated bench top. Also, moving a wet slab can be difficult unless you own a forklift or have lots of friends. Same goes with the legs. The laminations are extra work, but that makes up for the fact that you don't have to find a sawmill that will mill up 5 inch by 5 inch sticks, which will take time to dry and they might check or split. In the tradition. In the end I consider this bench to be traditional in the best sense of the word. In many ways it is the same bench shown in A.J. Rubeau's La Art de Menissier from 1774 or the Hieronymus Virex bench circa 1580. But it has been adapted, subtly, for its time and place. The vice hardware has been improved thanks to modern manufacturing techniques and the raw materials reflect the reality that giant slabs of wood are now the exception rather than the rule. The woodworkers of the 18th century had the same work holding goals as we do, to immobilize pieces of wood so we can easily work their faces, edges and ends. 
Wood hasn't changed much. The tools have changed only a little. And above all else, I see this workbench simply as a tool for making furniture. It is not an expression of my mastery of the craft or my success at amassing capital. That's where this bench comes from, and I suspect that most old workbenches came from the same place. This bench is the result of a lot of listening to dead people. And now, I hope to add a few words to that tradition. Narrator's Note This chapter, more than any others, has a lot of diagrams, plans, cutting lists, etc. You would certainly benefit from looking at the plans included in this section, especially if you're struggling with some of the description of dimensions.